Welcome to Discography, the music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. I'm your co-host, Dave Gebro. And I'm your other co-host, Joe Kennedy. You certainly are. And I've known that other co-host for 32 long years. Yeah, is it 32 now? It's 32. That's a long time. You're my second longest running friend. Or maybe third. Really? Third? Wow. Uh, Actually, you're way down the list of length, but quality is super intense and not to be Trump. Um, You know, uh, and people say that after college, it's really hard to meet friends. I mean, I've known you for a a long time, but, uh, you know, I look at my parents, I look at a lot of people, and it's, uh, it's, it's hard for people to make friendships after they school together it's true i kind of do all right with it because i'm on gigs all the time so i'll kind of meet like-minded folks like who i haven't met before through, a mu- through music through music exactly. yeah through doing you know making a record or playing a show or something you know so like you know when you're in high school and college and you got this horrible horrible secret that you're in love with music to the uh to the ensmallment of everything else in your life uh, you know, to cross paths with somebody else that feels that way is—I remember it being a big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you're, you know, when now we're fifty, and uh, you know, when you meet somebody who still cherishes music mm-hmm. at fifty, then you cross over into being sort of a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> but it becomes more and more and more crucial, I think, to stay connected yeah. with those people because. Well, now doing this podcast and then my other work that I do, it's pretty much like I'm really fully never doing anything else but making or talking about or listening to music like ever. I mean, I guess I take my kid to school and like making food and stuff. But even then, <laughs> you're asking him like, you know, what's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite Sid Barrett solo yeah, record? I think I've reached new levels of immersion. Yeah. Recently. Yeah, me too. It's it's been intense, but one of the great rewards has been. You know, as the, I mean, we've only been on the air for uh, for streaming for just over six months, and I have to say, I really I feel a kinship with uh, a lot of the people that are already in our community. I wound up just randomly reaching out to uh, to Peter out in Brooklyn yesterday, who's one of our super fans. Um, it's just good to know, especially during the pandemic, that. Uh, we all are linked and, you know, going trudging through this thing together as fellow soldiers of sound. Yeah, it's nice to see that two-way interaction happening and to, to just get to sort of meet and get to know some of our fans. And that's yeah. kind of what, you know, I think our vision is for this long term is to really kind of have a two-way kind of relationship. And Without a doubt. So it's not just us yakking about music. I foresee the, the, this thing being like if the stage was six inches off the ground, just like Altamont. <laughs> So there's really no I hope it ends here. up I hope it ends up just like Altamont. It will be just like Altamont. All right, so uh, we want to start a kickstart a brand new segment um, called Record Store Corner. As part of the community, uh, one of the things that we see as, you know, absolutely crucial is uh, maintaining uh, the you know the notion that I can actually leave my house and go buy records uh, and have a wonderful experience in doing so. So toward that end, we want to feature uh, our very f- first Record Store Corner uh, contribution here, which is Fingerprints Music. Which is our local uh, record store, both of us. That's That's right. uh, That's like the big game in town in our uh, beloved city of Long Beach, California. It's an amazing store. Um, They've been open for uh, quite some time. Actually, their their 30-year anniversary is going to be this July. Uh, It is owned and operated by, um, by Rand Foster. 
a really nice guy, uh, 8,000 square feet of vinyl CDs, books, and films, <clears throat> with tons of requisite books, t-shirts, and art. Um, also, crazy in-stores. You've actually played well, I've played there. a few in-stores there, yeah. They have they do that a lot, a lot of in-stores at Fingerprints. You played with uh, Pete Yorn, is yeah. that right? Yeah, we did an in-store yeah. there. I think you can see that on YouTube if you're uh, so inclined. But uh, a, a few other notable ones. So you, you had Foo Fighters, Cage the Elephant, Sparkle Horse, Iron and Wine... Um, Brian Wilson, who's, uh, you know, no, no slump in the music category. Uh, Lou Reed. Uh, and, you know, I mean, we love Lou. And, uh, you know, and Van Hunt in July. Uh, pretty unbelievable place. Super w- cool people that work yeah. here. Everybody's real friendly. We filmed our kind of initial promo for Discography there. Yeah, we did the trailer kind of, there. They were kind enough to let us film in there. And it's just, we're in there all the time. So Wonderful, wonderful store. Uh, I recommend highly that you uh, interact uh, in a mail order capacity. Fingerprintsmusic.com. Uh, uh, the Instagram is at Fingerprintsmusic. And then on Facebook, uh, Fingerprints Long Beach. Uh, definitely a classy, incredible establishment. Back to business, ladies and gentlemen, first things first, you need to know just how seriously we take this nonsense. Discography, as I usually mention, is heavily researched, and the music is always, in all circumstances, reassessed with fresh ears. Joe sounds very disgruntled about that fact based on the amount of time it eats up from his life, but just to let you know, we're not just covering albums. Mm-mm. We do a searingly honest deep dive analysis of all EPs, singles, comp tracks, relevant solo work, and bootlegs. And then we rate them all on a scale of zero, with a zero being rare and reserved for really terrible shit. And five... Being the opposite. Being the opposite. <laughs> and usually right. we give like a five, a couple fives at least per episode. That's right. Depending and on the artist. But. Giving these star ratings allows us all to come face to face with the true shape of an artist's overall arc. Today on Discography, we'll be turning the spray cans on... ELO, a.k.a. the Electric Light Orchestra, a.k.a. Electric Light Orchestra. <laughs> High-minded, baroque and roll synthesists turned vocoder-slathered Beatle pastiche hit-making machine. But before we start, we have got an incredibly special guest here in the studio of the Collective Rock and Roll Imaginarium that I would like to introduce to you at ludicrously great length. You probably know him as writer of the Needle Drop fake emails and as Anthony Fantano's brother from an alternate mother. His music writing's been featured in Time Magazine, Consequence of Sound, et al. And he's the co-creator of the music blog, We Listen For You, which ran for over a decade. Aforementioned guy through concerts at South by Southwest, CMJ, and Northside Fest, including live performances by The Zombies, Mac DeMarco, Kevin Barnes of, of Montreal, and Eleanor Friedberger of The Fiery Furnaces. He's managed The Pass as well as a band I've been loose-lipped as a mother effer about with regard to exactly how great they are, White Reaper. He's the writer and director of over 20 $0 budget music videos, so he deserves both your veneration and your supplication, or God damn it, there's gonna be an altercation. Guys and gals and prison pen pals, would you please hold on to him and never, ever, ever let him go? It's fellow soldier of sound, Zach Hart. Wow. <laughs> Hello. Never been called incredibly special before. That means a lot to me. You are incredibly special, dude. You that really was are. quite the intro. Well, I appreciate that. But more than anything, I appreciate you. Let's talk about you. 
Let's talk about you and your feelings about ELO and other matters. But let's start with ELO. Well, we kind of, let's start with, we were, you were going to come on the show, you and Anthony were going to do right. a co, um, you were going to do it together. And then um, we kind of ended up getting the best of both worlds because we got Anthony for two episodes and you for two episodes. No, it was one of the cool, it was one of the coolest emails. It was like, hey, uh, Anthony, do you want to be on this podcast? And he was like, yeah, I'll do it, but I want to do it with Zach and we want to talk about ELO. And then he dropped out. <laughs> yeah. I think but, when, he well, saw, when he saw the list of the how thing many is, Okay, so we came up as music bloggers around the same time, and we're friends. We've done South by Southwest together. He's a great guy. Uh, we've always supported each other. But one of our biggest bonding, point, bonding points is an ELO or Jeff Lynn track that we'll mention later. We'll keep people in suspense. We won't let them know. Right. And we'll have Anthony come on. I think we're going to record it separately. Yeah, he's um, going to be a special guest. Yeah, he'll be the special guest. That way people listen to the podcast. <laughs> no, no, you know what? I mean, look, there's, there's a huge... The great thing in my mind about this podcast, we've had legendary people on. And we've right. had people that, you know, that you know, aren't, aren't nearly as recognizable. Our best guests are the people who feel that passion for the music and it's, it courses through everything. Those are our best guests. Well, I, I, I'm in love with ELO for sure. Yeah. This, this show is the great democratizer. It makes it, it strips everything back down to when we were kids and we were just excited about music. None of the bullshit. Yeah. Agreed. So sorry, Let's I got on a, por- on a on a perch there. No, no, I <laughs> really didn't. It just overtook me. Um, so tell me first off, um, are you Anthony Fantano's best friend of all time, or did you guys not agree on whether, uh, like, you know, when you're dating somebody, like, you didn't make it official? We are not best friends. Uh, we are best like internet friends, maybe. I mean, we okay. both dealt with. So I, I went viral with a video of me bouncing quarters into shot classes. Nice. Before YouTube was even a thing, <laughs> it was like all over college humor. I couldn't go anywhere without anybody going, "Hey, it's the quarters guy." It was like around the, the Star Wars kid. Uh, it paid for my grad school. The stupid nice. video I made. It's so weird when you go through the comment section. So like people would go like, "Oh, like the death threats about." me bouncing quarters into shot glasses that's how weird it gets and anthony got so big his his comments are either the nicest things or the worst things you'll ever read mm-hmm. uh and you know just dealing with it but anthony he's just a great level-headed guy and, and i hate when he has to deal with all the internet stuff that happens the guys put out three videos a day for over a decade and yeah, it's yeah. all opinions so right. there you go and just yeah, go yeah. on any video and yeah. like people hide behind the internet they, they'll say i mean even so elo fans let's just kind of get back into elo just a little bit you know the scene from uh, vegas vacation do you guys know that movie mm-hmm. yeah I'm not too where ellen gets one. put on stage uh with wayne newton <laughs> and the woman leans forward and she's like i've been to every show for the last 15 years he never does this this is like yellow fans are obsessive <laughs> fans beatles fans obsessive fans and I'm not one of those experts. It should be said right, right. up front. I'm not That's an okay. expert. I'm not an expert. I think people need to be honest. Like, I'm an Ingmar Bergman expert. We should start. I was born in 1984 in Danville, you know, Danville Kentucky. Uh, basically, my, fa- my grandfather was the director of photography for the B-movie The Blob. No and way! So fa- yeah, dude, and dude of- I watched it three days ago. Yeah. Beware yeah, of the blob. My grandmother was do, on the stove do, 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 in the do, do, compound because it was like this communal compound. They had no money when they made it, but she was the one on the stove stirring the blob. That <laughs> is so fucking cool, man. 
Anyway, uh, so I kind of was raised always like film, 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 and everything yeah. was. So the first CD I ever bought was the Speed soundtrack mm-hmm. uh, with my own money. And there's no songs. It's not like the Batman Forever soundtrack with like Kiss from a Rose. It's just literally just like the soundtrack. And I bought it because I couldn't understand why Speed was so intense with just being like interiors of a bus. And I realized it was just the music. So I studied. And so like my love of music is very different than most people. And I think you have to kind of figure out why you fall in love with art forms to figure out then why you fall in love with certain bands. And that's what I'm going to talk about today because we listen for you. We listen for you, meaning like we listen to every track that was sent to us. Mm-hmm. So I was burnt out over 10 years of listening to music. I just got extremely burnt out listening to music. And then in 2019, I looked at my Spotify. I'm untitled now. I dropped Spotify. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they're not a sponsor, but, um, <laughs> Basically, I looked at my most listened to thing, and there was four things. There was the Les Mis soundtrack, Tupac's All Eyes on Me, Cat Stevens, and then there was a huge jump to ELO. I was pretty much only listening to ELO uh, for four years. And it's my theory that there's eight records that I consider five-star experience albums. And that's why I'm here today. Tell me what they mean to you. I mean, like... You it's know, the, the most cinematic band. It's the closest band to a movie you can get, in ah, my opinion. Yeah, okay. And as okay. we go through it, I think we can kind of get, you know, go through the layers of what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I also think that there's one record that's the closest to David Lynch that you can get to in music. I know the one that you're talking about, but... <laughs> well, I've already told you my favorite. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah. think... I, yeah, but I think I know the one you mean with regard to David Lynch. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to it, because I believe that that's going to be part two. But, you know, I just want to toss my hat in the ring here. So in, in some ways, I feel like, you know, these guys are such a study in contrast, because uh, they're the... As far as being flashy and glammy and over the top, in some ways, the most 70s of the 1970s bands just totally marked by florid excess in production and songwriting. But beneath it all, you had like the shyest guy in rock history, which is not at all reflective of any corner whatsoever of that decade. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's perfect cocaine music, born, <laughs> born from a tinkering hermit. Uh, they're concept albums, but they were more of a singles band. They're retro, but they're futurist. I mean... Really, everything is sort of this di- dichotomy-based uh, style in music making. Well, they're pretty new to me. I mean, I my background with the ELO is I really just knew the stuff that was on like classic rock radio, which of which there's a lot actually. Going through this, you realize they a had lot. they had a lot of uh, hits. He must be a very wealthy man, <laughs> based yeah. on how many of these songs are on uh, like permanent forever. Uh, uh, if you know radio. how much he makes or how much he's worth, please write into the Discography group uh, on Facebook and let us know. So, you know, the ones that are, um, I think, when listening to that kind of radio, although I, I, doesn't, I don't really do it too much anymore. Um, now you stream everything on your phone, so you can kind of avoid, like, hearing the same stuff on the radio a million times. It's kind of a different time now. Mm-hmm. But um, is the, I think they're always kind of a breath of fresh air when you hear their stuff, you know, in between the usual bad company and, you know. So my relationship really to them before we did this was just based on that, just from, you know, hearing their music through, the os- singles, through, great o- singles. through osmosis, really. Yeah. So this really was a fresh ears kind of experience for me going through it and listening to it all in a row, like in headphones. And It was a super cool trawl. At one point in the process here, I was a little worried that I'd listened to 16 billion records and that this 
podcast wasn't going to happen with you. What uh, we're doing is insane. I'm looking at my notebooks, and it's just madness. It is such a feeling of catharsis. Having we do, done we this, do this every week. Yeah, we do this all the time. And we <laughs> okay, but it. Velvet Underground has how many records? How yeah. many did you do with Anthony? Yeah, but that, I mean, look. That was a welcome break. It was. It really was. <laughs> I mean, this is, I'm like, I'm like for, for example, right now, I'm commandeering a move into doing the dead's entire studio output oh, with as, four, in, as in grateful. Yeah. With four separate guests. So, I mean, that's going to be a quagmire of insanity. Um, but, uh, yeah, even this is, you know, very simple in comparison. So, okay. That being said, there's a lot to talk about here this afternoon. So let's enter the segment that I affectionately call the run up. All right. Jeffy was born on December 30th, 1947, Grew up in Birmingham. Uh, apparently, Birmingham, from what I understand, That's is a England, lot of, not Alabama. Right. Uh, belching smokestack towers, industrial town, grim, gray, Sabbath. Okay, so in 63, he forms a group uh, that are originally called the Rockin' Hellcats, then the Handicaps, finally the Andicaps. Really catchy. Uh, in 64, uh, the next year, he leaves the band and joins another band, the Chads, destined for fame, right? <laughs> Around 65, he gets a stereo reel-to-reel tape recorder uh, and discovers multi-tracking. He says it taught him, it, that it taught him how to be a producer. In 66, he joins the Knight Riders as guitarist. They soon change their name to the Idol Race. Uh, they record to what I think and what the guy on the other end of the phone here thinks is that these are wonderful records. Am I right, sir? I love it. It's a uh, psychedelic Cole Porter. Yeah. It. Oh, interesting. I, I like it described that way. Um, if you want to do so, a mini episode about these guys, the Idol Race are a pretty wonderful nugget style psych band from England. Um, so... <clears throat> Success, unfortunately for Jeffy, was an elusive bitch. So in 1970, after kind of whimpering to a close in Idle Race, uh, Jeff joins the th uh, the lineup of the more successful band, The Move, a band that I love. I mean, honestly, uh, Zach, if I were to be honest with you, I like The Move more than ELO, but they also weren't hanging around for decades uh, to shit the bed. For I gotta us. say, the move is not a uh, corner of rock history that I have uh, I've checked out. It's unbelievably good. Zach, are you familiar? Or? No, no, I love the move. I just that opinion's not yeah, one I, I would share at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I actually like the Idle Race records better than the Move records. Jeff Lynne contributed a lot of songs to the Move's last two albums, um, but of particular note here is that during this whole time. He's formulating this plan with, uh, or actualizing a plan with Roy Wood and Bev Bevan uh, from, uh, from The Move to build a band or, around a fusion of rock and classical music. You know, I mean, eventually this fusion is the basis of ELO, but interestingly, their vision of how this, this comes together and is fused is very different. But this project... Uh, would become Electric Light, or Light Orchestra or ELO. The original idea is that both bands would exist in tandem. Uh, Bev Bevan, however, has since suggested that Lynn had very little interest in the move. Bev Bevan being the drummer. Right, right, sorry. Uh, so drummer Bev said, the only reason Jeff Lynn ever joined the move was to form a new band. He was never interested in being part of the move. It was a good money-earning band. It really sub subsidized the beginning of ELO 
for getting musicians in and recording and rehearsals and stuff. Jeff never wanted to be in the move. He wanted to form a new band. It's like a leveraged buyout. It's like, yeah. It's like what, a, you know, it's like it's what, a corporate uh, rating. It's like what Bain Capital would do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's, ta- let's take a moment here and talk about this shared concept of a band that combined rock and, rock and roll with classical pop and circumstance. This fusion, is it an uh-oh for you guys or does it at base fill you with any kind of excitement? Oh, it only fills me with excitement. That's why I love this band. Um, it starts off, well, when we get into the first record, I think that's the purest form of ELO, the the self-titled or no answer as it's referred to as. But uh, that is just like rock and roll and strings. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's funny about this band is I think what one of the things that Jeff Lynne loves is my least favorite type of music. And I call it, you know, that Motel 6 song? I've been everywhere, man. You know that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mississippi, I hate that type of music. It's yeah. like in movies, like if it says like live music and it's they're going into that, that bar, that dive bar, yep. that <laughs> band that's playing, that's my least favorite type of music. And I think it's Jeff Lynn's favorite music. You mean and it's like, hilarious. You mean like blue, Blues Hammer? It's like Ghost Rockabilly, World? Southern Blues, Mishmash with not much of a variation. It's yeah, like dinga, like, dinga, 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 dinga. And it's like leather jackets <laughs> yeah. and like you're supposed to, it's very like 80s. 70s 80s like you know oh this is the tough bar in the movie right right that's my least favorite type of music and what's funny and why i love this band so much is it goes into that so much it's almost like a great piece of art that challenges the thing i dislike the most Hmm. the classical mashup with rock stuff to me i i like more when they're pure pop that's the stuff that speaks most to me the more they get away from the sort of prog and classical, the more it kind of, I feel like I can kind of relate to it. So they kind of like over the years start gradually shedding the idea that they're a classical music sort of thing. It starts to get like less and less with every record. It becomes more of an affectation. Right. It becomes more of an ornament and not like the thing that's the base of the whole, you know, the whole record. All right. So let's now uh, enter phase one Anti-Spawned and Uncle Turvis's Tea Time String Band, a.k.a. Shaking Off the Prog Webs, 1971 to 1973. P.S. anti or Uncle Turvis is what ELO wanted to call their own label back in 72, much to their distribution company's horror. Okay, so the first album is called The Electric Light Orchestra, a.k.a. No Answer. Uh, no Answer is actually a misunderstood telephone message that was made by United Artists Records. Uh, an executive called and asked what the album name was, and uh, <clears throat> but there was no nobody picked up, so he wrote No Answer. In the uh, that's how legends are made, and they rolled with it. They rolled with it. So let, let's talk about thoughts on this record. This is an outlier in their catalog, is it not, Zach? I, th- I just think it's the start. I like to. So this is outside of my top eight, obviously yeah. the, the eight that I'm here to talk about. But I really love going back to this record because you can kind of see where everything began. Yeah, and like going to your like thing about the strings and the classical, like the track two, "Look at Me Now," is basically Eleanor Rigby, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like it's that. It's just. It's pure rock and strings. That's it. I like that you're filling the history because I want to talk to people who don't like ELO or yeah, don't yeah. know much about them. Like, So yeah, I'm your guy for absolutely. that. So, so, so if you're just now getting into ELO, I would wait on this first record because yeah. it's a lot more fun coming back to it, in my opinion. It's true. Because like, even like Mr. Radio, to me, is like there's many attempts at Mr. Blue Sky where most 
people who don't know ELO, they know Mr. Blue Sky. So this you is know? a very it's a very different record from what they typically do. When they started, first off, they were focused on the core trio of just Roy Wood, Jeff Lynne, and Bev Bevan. It was the three guys. Um, the move is still going strong. This was seen as a side project. And also the sound is unique on, the re- on this particular record uh, in comparison because there's a lot of wind instruments and uh, the guitar parts are replaced with really heavy sawing cello riffs, right, that are just super I am the walrus insistent. And they're awesome um, sounding. Totally, but it yeah. but it feels more experimental, less leaning towards pop. Now I got to say, there's one song on this that stands head and shoulders over yes. the rest of it. <laughs> yes, um, which is the opening song, one oh five three eight overture ten three. How do you say it? Ten thousand. I always call it's, it's, it's a perfect song. I love yeah. that song. So uh, yeah, it's the, the, the there's the template for their career. The weirdest thing is they have a billion records, and the first song on the first album is their best song that they ever made. I don't know. About That's that. not true. No, no it's, it's, it's objective. Nah, it's not. Well, I read it somewhere. You wrote it, and then you read it. I read it from my notes somewhere. <laughs> you read you read what subjective means? I just read it. Yeah. I saw it on the internet, therefore. I, just, I saw it on true. the internet that I wrote this. Um, yeah, no, honestly, it, this song just always knocked me the fuck out. Yeah, there, this is, you know, it's it's on a, it, it has, it's more of a song, too, I feel like, than the other tunes on the record, which kind of are more like classical composition sort of style. Um, this is kind of based off kind of, a you know, just a cool rock riff, that descending riff. And you know how many tracks of song cellos? Um, Fifteen. <laughs> wow. But that one's a pretty unique and I think really fun take on like psychedelic Beatles. And that one, it kind of all clicks on that tune. Yeah. The rest <clears throat> of the record... Um, the, you know, there's some cool stuff on it, but like, you know, the minute look at me now kicked in, I had sort of an, Oh no, kind of, me too. kind of feeling with that. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, it, it is very Eleanor Rigby. Um, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, the next one's kind of the same. Next one's like wild honey, uh, not wild honey, <laughs> honey pie off of, um, off of uh, White Album. Yeah, you know, the Bee Gees kind of had that phase too. We did yeah. them previously, and they had sort of a phase where they kind of went classical leaning, and I wasn't really super into that either. Um, but I think ELO gets kind of gets better at it. They get better songs um, later on. Um, I do like I did like Mr. Radio. That's kind of more of a uh, kind of more of a conventional tune. Do you think uh, maybe Zach, you have a reaction to this? Do you think Manhattan Rumble is like he's trying to do like Rhapsody in Blue or something? Yeah, I mean, I think he not ripped off, but I think he has tons of influences, and that's one of the David Lynch things. Is uh, David Lynch? I hate the oh, he's weird. That's his number one label. Right. Uh, my favorite thing about David Lynch, just like we talked about with Billy Wilder, is he does everything. You know, mm-hmm. he right. he does comedy, he does surrealism, he does mm-hmm. abstraction, he does everything. And I think Jeff Lynne is the same way. I think Jeff Lynne is like the biggest music nerd when it comes to all aspects of music. So like Manhattan Rumble has a little bit of everything in it. And on the next record, or uh, on the third day, we're going to talk about, well, I'll, we'll wait and get to it. Um, but yes, I, th- I think that he has tons of influences. Like, there's tons of stuff that sounds like Flight of the Bumblebee to me. Mm-hmm. And he'll yes. just do it for, like, yes. a slight slight moment and then get out of it. And then you're like, okay, where did that go? Um, I, I've had yeah. this record for a long time. I've had it for, let me think, uh, uh, for 25 years. And... You know, I'm always tempted to reassess because the first song is so good that I every time I think I had to have missed something. But then every time I come away thinking I didn't miss anything. Um, 
it's just not uh, it's it's really not for me. I give it uh, actually one and a quarter stars. Oh wow! Oh, and boy. I'm only giving it that because of the first song. Well, I had my reaction was kind of similar to you, but to me, this you know the first song is so good, and then there's a couple other things I like. Okay. This was a hard one to rate because the the part in the middle, kind of from Look at Me Now to like Battle of Marston Moor, kind of drags pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely not my style, but I do like, I don't know, I'll, I'm going to give it two. The whole the whole album's 41 minutes. Drags? It yeah. does for me. Yeah. I think. Just I guess those... I have more free time than everybody. <laughs> and, and look, don't rub <laughs> my face. 41 minutes to me is nothing. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll yeah. give it two. Which you know, I, I think they, they this is it's an, it's a starting it's a, it's the building blocks of what they would yeah. do. They start they got better at this. What do you feel about this one? Give, give it well, to be- straight up here. Before I give it a star rating, every once in a while I'm just going to read notes that I don't even understand because I just have books and books and notes. But on Queen of the Hours, I wrote it's Baroque Castle Rock, and I don't know what that means. No, it makes uh, sense to me. But there we go. Um, I give this one three and a half stars. because you know, I wrote more Sturm und Drang. That's my favorite. <laughs> okay. Queen of the Hours. Queen you, of the Hours is cool. You um, said three and a half stars? Three and a half stars. Everything outside the eight that I'm here to talk about, like I don't want to be rough on Jeff Lynne because I think he's a genius. And mm-hmm. I think that... This record's really cool. I could see like an e- a diehard ELO fan thinking this is the best record. In the June 1972 issue of New Musical Express, uh, Keith Altham, Altham? Mm-hmm. It sounds like I'm lisping, uh, interviews Roy Wood, Jeff Lynne, and Bev Bevan about the dichotomy between ELO and the move. So as of yet, uh, as of this point, of course, nobody really knows what that dichotomy is. So during the interview, which lasts quite a while, Bev Bevan chimes in a couple times, but Jeff Lynn literally only says one thing, and it's an offhanded thing that has nothing to do with the band's music or their philosophy. So here's what he says. Um, it's Roy Wood who waxes prosaic about the band gushing with waterfalls of explanations about the concept behind the band, and all Jeff has to say is, we're now awaiting a call from Osrams to do a commercial. Can't wait for that. I've always used Osram. Used to eat them as a kid for breakfast. Once I got one, I saved up for the set. So, hmm. seriously, whose idea was this band? Was it Roy's or Jeff's? And why am I the only person on this podcast who cares about that? Hmm. Uh, problems led to Wood's departure in 72, leaving <laughs> Lynn as the band's dominant creative force. Now we're at January 1973, ELO2. Um, all five pieces on the record are longer than usual. We get a little bit more of a proggy flavor here. Uh, and there's multi-layered orchestral instruments going on here. Um, during the sessions is when Roy left the band and formed Wizard, his side project, in June 72. He took Bill Hunt and uh, Hugh McDowell with him from ELO. And although uncredited, Wood is playing cello and bass on In Old England Town and From the Sun to the World, easily the worst songs on the album. So the core of the thing, um, you know, eventually the three guys that are the long-standing members are Jeff Lynne, Bev Bevan, and Richard Tandy, keyboard player. So there's kind of some lineup shiftings along the way, but those are the three kind of mainstays of the ELO right. throughout. But now it was the Jeff Lynne show. Uh, Zach, do you like the Jeff Lynne show? I like the Jeff Lynne show, but I think this is my least favorite record. Uh, well, this and a, a later one, and then we have the Jeff Lynne solo stuff when it was like Jeff yeah. Lynne's ELO, which we'll get into later, and I have absolutely really nothing to say about those records. But uh, yeah, ELO 2, I just don't listen to a lot. And it's I think pretty Roland, spotty, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think Rollover Beethoven was the reason why it took me so long to get into Yellow. It's because, mm. like, I knew Mr. Blue Sky because of the VW commercial. Um, and then I knew Rollover Beethoven because it was just, like, a popular single I heard. And I really didn't like it, you know, going back into that yeah. Motel 6. Uh, and then, like, <laughs> use, you know, Beethoven and Chuck Berry. And it's just like, I don't know if I want Jeff Lynn, an English dude, doing Chuck Berry. I don't know. Um, this whole album doesn't do much for me. And I apologize to any Yellow fans out there who love this record. You don't, just, you don't owe anyone anything. No, but I love, I have a, I, uh, I feel like they're family because I do love this band and I want to be part of their, the love yeah, of the Yellow. I mean, and, have, and, 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 and like David Lynch, I think everyone can have their own take. Like David Lynch is for everybody. Twin Peaks. Yeah. I don't care who you are. There's people who like to look at it like the mystery or they like, you know, the, the world building. I think ELO is the same way. It's for everybody, and whatever your take on ELO is, that's cool. And but this, this is, one just let's be fair. This is me. a divisive yeah. record. Well, let's talk a little bit about the the music, the much maligned music genre of Prague, <laughs> and when what we can tolerate in terms of the world of Prague. And I like we, I like we love some. Prague, yeah. I like some Prague, but I got to say, I really only like the most upper tier of Prague. And the thing so I, give us the upper tier of Prague for people who don't know a lot about Prague. I mean, Prague. you know, like Close to the Edge or like, you know, King Crimson. Which like, is by Yes, by the way. Yes, Close to the Edge. You know, King Crimson, Starless, and Bible Black. Like, they, you know, like got records that are played by like virtual. Yeah, and mostly I kind of identify with these guys who were like just genius master, like, you know, like musicians like Rick Wakeman, Steve Howe. Uh, Robert Fripp, like you know, I I dig those records because those guys are such freaks and such great players. When you kind of go to the next tier down, and you're not getting really elite musicianship, it kind of loses some of the you know. It's it's then it's like it's not <laughs> you just have a really good memory. <laughs> you can remember yeah. how to play long, complicated things. You know, I think I feel like I respond more to prog that's kind of played by like guys that are like really, really, really good. I think at, at this point the sound was coming together for them, and although. You know, truly, you know, where they are in their career, it was still a mixed bag. It was just they're wandering down, you know, you know, ultimately unimportant, best left overlooked alleys. Well, a lot of these songs are long, right? Yeah. But then, like, the, I, there's the one tune on here. It's the it's the um, the last song, Kuyama, I guess it's called. How you pronounce that? <laughs> Which I think is their longest track. Yeah, so it's 11 minutes long. I think it's a great song. It's 11 minutes long. It's but their it's, longest song. But it really is only 11 minutes. It's not because it builds to some epic, like, insane crescendo or something. It's like it's 11 minutes because the parts are just really long, and then they cycle through the parts like three times. So right, it's, right. It's kind of doesn't really need to be 11 minutes. It's cool, It would, but it would have been just as good, or if, in fact, it would have been a lot better probably if it was five minutes. I think it's a mixed bag. There's two songs that I don't care for at all in Old English Town and From the Sun to the World. Uh, then Rollover Beethoven, I like just fine. But the mm. two songs I think are exceptional for them are Mama and Kulama. Uh, yeah, I guess that's how you pronounce it. But I like <laughs> I like both those songs. Uh, Mama's kind of like Uncle Albert kind of. Yeah, like yeah. Uncle Albert kind of. Yeah. I think they're buzzing closer to the hive with Mama. I don't think it's pure honey territory there, but um, but it's getting there. I give I this. Know. I give this two and three quarter stars. Mm, I like this a lot less. I gave this one and a half, and I'm two, so I'm right in the middle. Huh, okay. okay. All right. Well, I, as far as I'm concerned, they enter a new phase here, and that is phase two. Ludwig von Beethoven, <laughs> 1973 to 1986. Just in case any of you missed that. That's, that's right. Ludwig van Beethoven. <laughs> Thank you. It's always good to have an interpreter on hand. All right. So November 1973 on the third day. This is the first album entirely without Roy Wood. 
the first with that the preceding their name. And it's got a much more singular focus on shorter tracks. Um, and there's four songs <clears throat> on side one that are linked in, into a continuous suite. So there's kind of different elements coming to a, into play. Also, showdowns on this. Um, it was originally intended to be released as a single exclusively, but because it was on a different label than the album, something like that, some kind of snafu, mm -hmm. um, it didn't uh, appear on the Warner Brothers version. Right. But, so uh, side one's kind of like an Abbey Road kind of thing, where it's a kind of a suite. Mm -hmm. The big songs kind of all kind of flow into each other, sort of. Um, I love the title, Oh No, Not Susan. <laughs> it's a good song title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, yeah, this is, a, this is a pretty big step forward, I feel like. This is... Um, it's a cool record. Yeah, they're still they you know they have their proggy side a little bit, but you know you're starting to get more like you're like you said more song oriented kind of material. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but uh, you know uh, the eight. I think it's a masterpiece. Do you? Ta yes, okay, absolutely. I'm going to shut up. I want to listen. Talk no, to I think please. okay. So the next eight records are, in my opinion, the best eight record run any band has ever had. I call them experience albums, and almost all these records can be found, at least when I bought them, fairly cheap used at your record stores. So go down to Fingerprints, isn't that our sponsor today? It is, yeah. yeah. Or your local place. And this is the whole point of why I got really into this band after I got burned out about music, which is you cannot cherry pick ELO and really understand ELO. You have to go get the record, hang out with some friends, put your phone away, and listen to it straight through. And that's what I love. Everybody who says the album is dead, these next eight ELO records disprove that 100%. Let me, let me ask you, if you were to set the scene for somebody, if you were to yeah. be an extremely involved music host, would you provide uh, what pairings? Uh, no, no. There's a perfect snack for ELO, and it's one of the most underrated snack, okay? Premium oyster crackers? Yes. <laughs> All right. And cold cranberry juice. <laughs> no ice. I'm an ice guy, but no ice. Wait, mm. is this just for ELO or is this is the Just idea? for ELO, these eight records. When I listen to ELO, I'm like, where are my premium oyster crackers? Mm. That's incredible. And, and cold uh, cranberry juice. But no, this record, when you listen to these records, and the proof is in Showdown to Daybreaker, Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's. Are we going to go through each track? Because I, yeah, I love this record. I love everything. Why don't you take us through the whole thing? Guide us through, and we'll come with you. Okay. Well, so let's one start of the, with Ocean Breakup. One of the coolest things about listening to these records all the way through, and you can't go on your, you know, your phone and you know, on title cherry pick like, oh, I want to listen to Showdown. Now, that's the dichotomy of them is they write great singles, right? So Showdown's a cool single, but if you go to Ocean Breakup all the way through to In the Hall of the Mountain King doing nothing else but listen that's just a, an amazing experience it matches going to the movies i do all these like close listening in general for the show i'm usually listening yeah. at nighttime in headphones loud is usually how i'm listening to these so but there's also something about showdown which is a great single hits right and then you have to get up flip the record and then daybreaker comes on if you listen to showdown and daybreaker on your streaming service they're almost similar in tone but that like 20 seconds to get up and flip the record resets the whole thing and now you're on your home stretch on side two and these next eight records only work in my opinion as experienced records that's why when i give my star ratings i'm gonna say you know blank star ea and that is awesome i love and for some hijack the rating well, system <laughs> and i'm gonna give out superlatives so i'm gonna give i'll just go ahead and ruin it the next eight are all five stars for me <laughs> Uh, experience albums, but there's a favorite experience album, the best experience album, the best ELO record, and then my personal favorite. So there's four to come. 
So talk to me. Talk to me more about experience. What exactly does that notate? Yeah, where does this record take you? What what place? And you know, where's every time? um, It's different, and who you're with is different. It's like binging Twin Peaks. I've I've gone through the experience of Twin Peaks alone, and I've done it with multiple different people, and it's always awesome how they take it. So it's really how artists should be experienced because we all view art differently, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like a record like this in ELO, it's so open to interpretation, and I like that part. Yeah, you right. know, I actually made a note about this record in the main my main notes section is that you know a lot of things happen in these songs. There's like there's a lot of events yes. that happen in a yeah. given song. You know, yeah, yeah. So, Ocean Breakup, King of the Universe, is an amazing opening that sets the world just like a movie does. And then the Hall of the Mountain King, which we'll you know talk what it about. reminds me of, Tamita. You know, Tamita, the classical yeah. guy, classical yeah, they, yeah, they, guy, mm-hmm. yeah. I had the same thing in my notes. You did? Really? That's funny. (laughs) Um, All right, keep going. Sorry, Zach. No, that's cool. I mean, do you guys want me to read some lyrics? Yeah. Go go for it. Do the whole thing. Uh, I want to hear One of my favorite things is Oh oh, No, Not Susan. Mm -hmm. So this one goes, uh, Susan spent the weekend at her stately home, crying at the lions on the garden wall, and then she'd sigh, sneak away, look at her style, free the day. And it's just like he writes, and I'll talk about it later, but he kind of writes in haiku. Where movies, if you've ever written a screenplay, all you're doing is order of shots, basically. He walks through the door. She sees him through, you know, through this angle, back and forth. And that's how Jeff Lynn writes his lyrics, is it's very visual action lines of blank, 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 blank. And then it's all visual. I, I have to say that the excitement train that you're riding is palpable. <laughs> no, seriously, the first side of the record, I am on yeah. that train with you. The the, you know, especially Bluebird is dead. Oh no, not Susan. Uh, New World Rising is awesome. Um, that one I like. It's real tight pop fireworks and Showdown obviously speaks for itself. I just the stumbling block for me is mainly, except for Mama Ma Bell. The rest of side two, I just cannot See, connect into. I'm with you on Mama Ma Bell. I don't like that. That's that Motel no, 6. No, 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 no. That one I do like. I, no, I'm saying I, that's the one I still oh, Okay, want. okay, okay. But what you get into when you listen to a record, you you the experience of it, it becomes less about, and it's the key to understanding or enjoying David Lynch is it's not about you. It's just about the experience. Right. I love artists and people, creative people who take chances. Like, what was he doing? This is his third record as his band. Why is he doing this record i constantly with ELO, i'm like fascinated that this guy just had the guts to do these things like in the hall of the mountain king the way that they present that track that everybody knows um it's just insane so um, I, I really like that kind of uh synthy goopy like you know I, this is obviously um richard tandy uh it, you could really start to detect his uh fingerprints on the band here um, I'm a keyboard player uh, by trade, and this record has like every, and, and not only just this record, but this whole period of ELO kind of starting here. It's got like every classic synth and like vintage keyboard, all the great sounds of the 70s keyboards. Um, he seems like he's got every piece of gear you could ever possibly imagine. And he's a good player. So there's that, there's that cool element on this record. Uh, they're kind of bringing in the synth stuff is sort of like starting to creep in, which is a, a welcome creep. The, the stuff that's the most exciting is that first side. It really does have that Abbey Road Junior kind of thing. Yeah, let's and talk about the uh, the Beatles a little bit and yeah. how they relate to ELO. So this is the song Bluebird is Dead. That might have the all-time record for like the most Beatle tropes in one song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Plus so many the, title, the title has several, several <laughs> right, tropes right, just so. in the title. 
Uh, so you're going to kind of take that as a uh, as part of the conceit of ELO is that there's going to be a lot of Beatlesisms. That's it's going to be a very heavy part of the uh, melodic I, yeah. vocabulary. I have no idea how Bluebird is Dead was not a single. That is just crazy to me. Yeah. To, so that's the thing me, is it's it's a good it's a good oh, song. Would you do you yeah. think that I mean Showdown is such a single. It is. Yeah. It is. It's great that that was a single. I think Bluebird is Dead should also have been a big single because I think that. Um, uh, you know, th- the album really as a whole, I believe, kicks off with Bluebird is Dead. Yeah. It truly does. Now, I, I prefer songs like Showdown, which does not have the sort of Beatle imprint on it. It doesn't mm-hmm. have the sort of like, oh, this is a quote from like whatever. I don't, I don't mind the pastiche because he's so good. But at I it. like it better and it's less distracting to me when he's in his own, like, you know, using his own kind of sense of melody and chord changes. Yeah. Which he does have, you know. He's yeah. he's a very melodic songwriter who can really write a hook. So that that was by far my favorite song. I on think he likes to hide behind his heroes, just like he likes to hide behind his sunglasses. Well, yeah, okay, but yeah. let's look at those five. You guys know Beatles much better than I do. But Ocean Breakup, King of Universe, inspired by the Beatles? I would say no. 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 Okay, so Blue Bluebird, Bluebird, definitely. Yeah, I would say, yeah. oh no, not Susan. I think that's their own thing. I really yeah, do. That's not Beatlesy. Okay, so and then New World Rising, New World Rising isn't, and Showdown isn't. So we're talking about one track. Yeah, well, that's true. New World Rising is a little beatly. There's a little bit. Of is it? Changes. But then, but then half of it's uh, Ocean Breakup, which is this insane little bridge I, into you, Showdown. Yeah, you yeah. you give it five stars, right? Obviously, you, five star uh, EA. Okay, oh, <laughs> I still want to know more. Can you just? Give me a little bit more about experience. What is it? Uh, what is it? I, I will. I will give you a story about me and Anthony from White Reaper on the next record. Okay. All right. All right. So fair enough. I, I gave it three go, and a quarter. Okay. Yeah, I give it around the same. I gave it three, um, and it's de- I, I kind of kind of categorize this as an interesting transitional record where they're kind of starting to move into a different direction. Um, I like records like that. I like transitional records. By the way, little side note: John Lennon loved Showdown and called the band "Son of Beatles" in a radio interview. <laughs> <laughs> that had to make Jeff Lynn very happy because he was a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, how much do you give it, Joe? I give it a three. Three. Okay. All right, cool. Well, I mean, you know, we're definitely divergent from Zach, but you and I are pretty well, close. Well, three is kind of where I start to be like, okay, I like this, but it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's not perfect, but I like it. Um, now, here on the next one, this is where my feelings about the band, um, if I was to have a, an experience section like Zach, it would mm-hmm. start with this one. Okay, let me give you just the, the context stuff, and then I'm going to... I'm going to sidestep a little bit here, let Zach take over. Uh, El Dorado from 1974 is subtitled A Symphony by the Electric Light Orchestra. So now this guy's puffing his fucking chest out. He may be wearing sunglasses, but his chest is puffed out. Um, It's the first complete ELO concept album. So the storyline was conceived before he wrote any music. Uh, The plot follows this sort of Walter Mitty-like dreamer character who journeys into Fantasia's uh, through his dreams to escape the bullshit reality. The influence of the Beatles is definitely prevalent here. So especially in the verse of Mr. Kingdom, it's irrefutable um, as far as across the universe. Uh, Can't Get Out of My Head was released as a single um, and was a success in the U.S. Also an edited version of Boy Blue was the second single, this is a fucking great record. Zach, take it away, sir. <laughs> 
Well, let's let's keep the conversation ebb and flow going. It's not just me. No, uh, I'm but this, this, this is this is my this. number one experience album. And if you're doing this kind of like every weekend for five bucks, you and your buddies uh, can just get together and go to a record store for five six bucks, buy a record, listen to it. Takes less than an hour, mm-hmm. and this is the one I would start with. So what's, it is, what is there a difference is, between your the the number one experience album and your favorite album? Yes, yeah, and then also I think that there is a clear objective best ELO record. So what's uh, so what is what does it mean if you're a number one experience album? I think this is the most fun you can have with friends listening to a vinyl record. I really do. Turn the lights out. Get your premium oyster crackers. They better send me some and your cranberry juice. This is have not enough just for everybody. Cinematic. This is fucking. This record's everything. This record yeah. means so much to me. I bought this record, so I started collecting in like 2006, and I bought like five rap records and this one because it had a Wizard of Oz reference, and I liked Mr. Blue Sky, and that was about all I knew about it. And I just remember my stepdad, who just recently passed away. Yeah, he gave me in a beautiful uh, Technic system with uh, just uh, Polk speakers. And so I had the most beautiful setup, and I put this record on, and it was just mind-blowing. Uh, it's one of my favorite vinyl records. It, it, when people go, vinyl's so warm, or you know, it has this magic quality, this is the record to me that proves mm-hmm. that vinyl is the thing. Um, yeah. yeah, all of these, re- you know, this is, I put them, I always did even before we did this episode, put them in the category of like, you know, there's a certain kind of peak that audio recording got to in the late 70s. And the, this is obviously not from the late 70s, we're not quite there yet, but it's in that same kind of category of records. We have 24 track recording, you know, FM radio, the songs are made for FM radio, everything sounds really fat and on tape, you know, it's the sort of pinnacle of, I think of other records like, you know, like uh, the first Boston record. Or like you know some of Super Tramps records, these re- incredibly hi-fi mm-hmm. you know, records from the 1970s that are really using like, at the peak of like analog 24. Also recording. cinematic. I mean, you want to yeah. talk cinematic, cinematic. And, and, and also going back to my thing about judgment and art, is it from the start? You know that deep vocal weird poem that hits. You can just be a jerk, or no, you know, not give yourself to the artist and just be like, all right, I think that's lame or corny, and you won't sink into it. But if you don't judge ELO, especially mm-hmm. these eight records I'm talking about, and just kind of go with it, yeah. every time you experience it, you get something new, some texture. And I think that's what he was really trying to do. I think just like David Lynch, he just wants you to experience. And if you don't mm-hmm. like it, cool. It's going to change in 15 seconds, you right. know, except for the right. singles. Right. Um, there's something for everybody on this record and yeah, all these it, records that we're talking it's about. It's tremendous. So you got an overture at first. So even if uh, you don't – look, just the fact that there's an overture – you know, the curtain is opening, et cetera, et cetera. So you're having that, exp- it's an experience. Yeah. It is an experience. So you sit back, you get comfortable, break open the oyster crackers and cranberry <laughs> juice, and then can't put, them, get put it- them in a bowl. Don't eat out of the plastic bag for some reason. I'm, that I'm, ruins it. I'm glad I brought it back up because yeah, of that, yeah. that detail. Uh, yeah. uh, okay. So can't get out of my head. The mournful sadness of that song, for whatever reason, this epitomizes the band much more than a lot of their big singles to me. Yeah, that one is one of the... I love when this happens. It's kind of a song that reminds me of something, but I can't put my finger on what it is. It has a familiar kind of quality to it, but it's not really a direct 
copy of anything. Right. Sad, right. Sadness. And yeah. it reminds you of human emotions. That's why yeah. it's so good. There's yeah, a real good. there's a real sadness here. I mean, this yeah. is I, I feel like with this song, maybe he was able to hide behind the concept in a way that allowed him to become honest in his lyrics. Yeah, the concept is very loose, right? These songs all stand alone just yeah. fine outside of yeah. the, outside of the concept. Um, you know, it's it's a concept album really in kind of a name only. I guess there's a thematically it kind of revolves around that, but you don't really have to follow the no. concept to enjoy the well, I think most of his concept records are more world building feelings. You yeah, know, like time, yeah. time has its own bizarre feeling, but I don't think it's about really anything. Yeah, I'm I sure Yellow right. fans will be like, no, no, it's about, but I've never, even as someone who loves experiencing these records over and over, I've never really formed like a story out of any of them. You yeah. know, I just kind of like wherever I go with it, that's what happens. And that's can't get out of my head is so great because it could be just a great single, but it also fits into the movement of the album so well. It's one of my favorite songs by them. I didn't know uh, before actually doing the research work on uh, for this episode that it was their first top ten single in the U.S. It was actually oh, wow. number nine. Mm-hmm. Um, Good for so that U.S. Was, customers to make it. No shit. Way. I mean that's yeah. that's great. It's one of their first big classics. Can you imagine and, what a complete piece of shit the current number nine song is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, th- this actually with the most impressive thing about this album, I believe is that it has their, you know, this song that is just in another dimension, and then it just tops it. Boy Blue. Yeah, yeah. Boy Blue is a, a, yet another contender for the best song Lynn's ever written. Um, and, and actually, he's finally found a way to fold that song cello technique into the way that he writes songs uh, and kind of sand all the abrasiveness off of it. I agree. And I think Boy Blue is one of the first examples of these experience albums where you get to see Jeff Lynne's creative guts, as I was talking about. Because mm-hmm. Boy Blue, if you kick it off a minute 23 into the song, it's a perfect single, just like Can't Get Out of My Head. So normally a band would go, Can't Get Out of My Head, straight into that single version of Boy Blue. But there's a, a minute 23 of buildup to bridge the two before like the single really kicks in. Here's the right. real definition of having balls, okay? You yeah. have an overture for your record, then you have a song, and you're like, wait, the other, the next song is so good that it needs another fucking overture. Exactly. Yeah. And then Poor Boy, the last track on side A, right. goes back to the overture. Yes. Well, I got to say, maybe I'm missing the point of ELO in a, in a way, but like the song like Boy Blue, I really like the song part of it. I probably would have liked it better without all the kind of Boston pop stuff going on. The the, the intro edited out and, you know, like the proggy part in the middle, you know, like I like the song part of it is what excites me more. And I'm the opposite. And that's, what's cool is it's it's both. It's for both of us. Again, like I, like I said at the beginning, maybe I'm kind of missing the, uh, the 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 boat. You have your own take. That's what I said up front about ELO is like, I, I really think that this discography is, is, everybody would have a different top 10 songs. Here's why I like that though. The dichotomy there is that it's sort of this pompous candy, which is this great idea that you can get like, because it makes it so much fun. I don't feel, I I feel like he ultimately had it. Well, I think that's the thing. The frosting and the sprinkles are like a really big attraction for ELO. Right. So it's the the adornment and what he's, the the color he's adding is a big, big part of it. Nobody gives a fuck about his demos. I don't even know if he has demos. But he's also such a good songwriter that when he writes the simple pop stuff, that kind that kind of hits me more directly. But anyway, Maybe they do care about his demos. It's, okay. it's, it's a club sandwich. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> you need all the elements. Here's here's the main problem with the record for me is, you know, again, you flip it over and it struggles for me for a while. 
Uh, Mr. Kingdom is just too much of an across-the-universe ripoff for me. Nobody's Child is kind of stuck halfway between muted slide trombone, va-va-va-voom jazz, <laughs> which I don't particularly care for, and drunken sea shanty sing-along. It's not an appealing uh, combination for me. <laughs> all uh, my favorite then, things. Uh, all your <laughs> and then Illusions in G Major is uh, like hip-shaking, by rote, boogie-woogie. So if you cut those three songs out, because then El Dorado and El Dorado Finale are awesome. Yeah, I, I like El Dorado. That has a nice melodic like, through line to it. Um, yeah. I mean, look, this in a lot of ways... I'd argue that this is their first real album as ELO. So it's almost I, hard to kind of like evaluate some of these as single songs because al- right. almost all of the well, not you know, a lot of them. There are parts that I really like, and that's like oh, I wish I hadn't gone into that whole prog section or something. You know, like I, I have like, a lot of like mixed feelings about a lot of the songs here. What, Zach, what do you think about the second side? I love it. I mean, like, like it's the just same. A, yeah, exactly. I love the the whole piece because if you if you go through and you go, well, I don't like. Well, first, I think I'm blessed not knowing as much about the Beatles as you guys, um, <laughs> because you you guys, I mean, you're gonna get stuck on like no, how, dude, it, it only affects that one song for me. That's it. Okay, well, That's but it, also really. on that third day, you were like, well, these three songs, but like for me, the whole album works together, and there are small parts where that might not be what I want. Right. But mm-hmm. if if he didn't do that, then I might have got the thing that I really love. Does that make right. any sense? Yeah. yeah. So far up to this point of their thing, they don't have any of the big radio staples no, that have no. become the like, you know, kind of permanent fixtures in culture. They're they're right. about to get to that, but so far they haven't really had one of those yet. All right. So, uh, you know, just you know, last thoughts on uh on what he got through here. So, uh, you know, so th- th- this is basically El Dorado is basically the template moving forward. Large concepts yet easily pared down to its essential movements, uh, i.e. singles. So the first side uh, from you know, from where I'm sitting, is absolutely magnificent. I mean, like perfect. But then, unfortunately, uh, it stumbles for me. Never quite regains its footing uh, before its appropriately awesome conclusion. So ultimately, I see this thing as a flawed classic, uh, and not quite not quite a near masterpiece, but at least a near near masterpiece. I give it four stars. Well, I give this one three and a half, and they're kind of incrementally going up with each one for me. They're kind of like like adding a half star each time. I feel like they're kind of figuring it out more. And then I also must be said there are parts in this that are starting to sound very distinctly ELO-ish. Mm-hmm. They're kind of refining that sound. So this is kind of a transitional album, um, but interesting one. Five star EA one. <laughs> which it. means it's it's five stars experience album number one it's, five star yeah. ea one sounds like grimes's child's name yeah <laughs> but no so this one needs to be in your record collection and you need to experience with friends and it just and you might not like it you might love it and joe what do you give it i don't remember your rating i give what? it three i give it three and a half three and a half okay yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, we're basically, you know, uh, we feel different levels of reverence for it, but we all can agree it's a, you know, it's a big statement from these guys. Yes. Uh, then in 75, now we're in face the music territory. We got a slew of fucking singles come out of this thing. Now they're just basically a hit machine, not just a hit machine. I mean, they're making, they're making solid work here. Uh, this moves away from the heavy classical orchestration of El Dorado. And now there's a more radio-friendly pop rock sheen. Uh, the string sections 
still right there in your face. Um, and this is also the first ELO record to go platinum. Yeah, so now they're kind of getting into my zone where I really like them. So this one, to me, sonically, is the best sounding one so far. And this one has a, has a really great, like, slick, punchy, like, clear kind of sound New to it. New studio, and they would also stay with the studio for the rest of time in Memorial. Yeah. Musicland Studios in Munch, Germany. Yeah, this has a big, polished sound to it. Um, really, really good sounding record. Yeah, I mean, they would, uh, they would always go back to Germany to record after this. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, Lynn trying to write memorable songs instead of the usual prog thing. Uh, and, you know, it was a good move for them ultimately, obviously very profitable, uh, but also artistically satisfying. Um, this also, the lineup of the record uh, became a stabilized and iconic one for the band. This was basically ELO. The next five years, this is seen as the classic lineup. And the singles we have are Evil Woman, Strange Magic, and Night Rider. Zach, I'm fucking dying to hear what you think about this thing. I know it's experience for you. That's all <laughs> a, I know. It's another five-star experience album. Uh, this one's for the single people, you know, the people who like singles. I think uh, Evil Woman and Strange Magic are two of my favorite songs that Yellow's ever done. Yeah. But what's, what's cool, unlike El Dorado, where you didn't like the B-side, and I love the B-side because it gets really concept album cinematic on that B-side, like this one, still fire and high to one summer dream. It still feels like a, a singular wor- world, and mm-hmm. that's why they're experienced albums. But it has hits on it, you know, without the the fluff, as some people might call it, the fluff that I like. Um, but Evil Woman, uh, Strange Magic is the standout on this album. For I love Strange Magic. That is a, that is a song I will go on title and I will just listen to over and over and over again. But yeah. this is this is ultimately a step down for you though, right? Because you No, 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 prefer- no. So these 8 I put on the same amount of love. I listen to them all pretty equally. Okay. Um it isn't in it doesn't have one of the superlatives, you know. Right. Right. It's just a 5-star EA for me. I think all these records and I do want to say outside of on third day, the album covers are so cool to look at while you're listening. Yeah, uh, this one has the electric chair on it. El Dorado had the the Wizard of Oz shoes, and it, it, I just really wish because I, uh, I love the uh, the El Dorado one because it's it's kind of it, you know the, he could have you know sort of pulled out and been you know much more lavish, but instead it no. was a zoomed in moment, and it makes it more interesting. Well, like I said, I bought it because of the album cover. I, I, yeah. I do like a lot of film people. Wizard of Oz is somehow underrated. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we still don't fully understand what that movie holds. Um, but it, it, on, on the third day, it's just the band photo, and I really wish because that does fit into my five star EA eight album run, and it's the only one that doesn't have an album cover that while I'm listening, I just like staring at it. And this one's got like the electric chair. It's bizarre, just like the music. But I, I really love this record, and I think this record, if if you just like singles. I think this is kind of the best blend of concept record and singles. Yeah. They're also starting to kind of explore a little bit of like, like disco is getting in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So on a song like uh, evil woman, they kind of sound like a different kind of band. They kind of sound like not so much like this kind of fusty, like prog kind of thing. They're, they, I, I got to say one problem with the record. Okay. Cause I, I love a lot of it. The one problem for me is that it does not begin in a way that I appreciate. <laughs> it does not get going until track yeah. three, Evil Woman. You don't I don't like, I don't like, like, I don't like Fire on High. Uh, <sighs> you know, that Fire began, on High is a great opener. 
I know, I know. As far as an opener, it ticks all the boxes. But it's, that's it, that's their thing, man. They do. But the, it just it's they, fucking, they it fucking goes at me so hard that I turn off. Like a, so, like when you watch a movie and then like it has the opening and then goes to credits. Do you get mad like when the credits run? What do you mean? Why? Movies? No, not at all. Well, I'm, just, I'm saying like I, I think ELO in this stretch they're trying to do world building records where the whole even though they're doing singles they all kind of fit in together i think yeah, that's that, jeff yeah. lynn's thing that's yeah. part of the conceit you have to accept right, right. That they right. have yes. the or- yeah. orchestral opener that's like sets the stage that's the you know that's that's the part I, of the concept that's, I, that's I, part look, of what they yeah, do <laughs> i know i know this particular one don't like this opens with a backwards message and in reverse it's actually a um it's Bev Bevan saying the music is reversible, but time is not turn back, turn back, turn back, turn back. So that was his kind of Jeff Lynn shot at bask ma- at, at uh, backmasking hysteria uh, after there were, you know, you know, all the satanic allegations that were made yeah. back then. Mm-hmm. So um, the uh, the track, the title track of El Dorado, uh, uh, fundamentalist Christians, for whatever reason, picked that to pick on. <laughs> Uh, Think of how your brain has to operate to believe that there are like backwards messages in music that your brain somehow can like detangle and program. Like, but the thing you have is, to be a damaged human being. To you know what? That's, it takes that's the way the world works. It takes like a pandemic to look back and think, man, people had all this time to worry about the dumbest shit back then. <laughs> like now we have real stuff to worry about. And back then, and they're still you, not worrying about the important stuff today. Yeah, not to get into all this, but well, there, yeah, bigger stuff, but not more yeah. important. Yeah, Night Rider is kind of a weird locus point of like prog and disco. Like, there's a little bit of like kind of disco style, but then a little bit of prog in it. So that that one's kind of a weird uh, kind of. Cotton so let me let me ask you because I know you don't like Fire and Hide, but it does it, it don't tickle your interest at all that the same person who wrote Evil Woman wrote Fire and High and that they occur within 10 minutes of each other. Like that to me is the attraction of ELO is like the same person who could write Evil Woman wrote Fire and High. Yeah, I mean, uh, it tickles something. I'm not sure exactly what, but <laughs> the landfill. Uh, it no, I it, it it you know usually I'm dead inside, and you know what you just said sparks something. So, okay. <laughs> this, is, um, this is a good record, though. Um, it is. You know, I, yeah. I think this is kind of objectively a good record. Do you it guys is. like Do you guys like Strange Magic? Because that to me is it's great. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah. It's really great. The little um, uh, the little swirling yeah. string figure that's in there. That's a really it's, nice it's romantic touch. rock. I don't even know how to explain it. Great hook, satisfying chord yeah. changes, and yeah, then it's... and then Evil Woman. Um, you know, first of all, that's to me where the where the record truly kicks in um but uh it's also it feels like the first fully comes into its own elo hit yeah like a true masterpiece from them he's starting um, to do like instead of uh he's starting to lean more into doing like what i call disco strings yeah where they're these kind of unison string lines that are kind of often like counterpoint to the melody or an answer to the melody um getting the real hook is right for me the evil woman and a bunch of other things like uh, like Donna Summer and things from from that era. Uh, it exists as a perfect reminder of what it was like to walk around an amusement park back in the mid seventies. <laughs> Joe, did you have any theme parks that would? Uh, we, were around in, disco? We, we were a theme park family. We were every theme park in existence. Do you remember walking around here and stuff like this? Sure. Yeah. This is one of those that's you know it's uh, it was in the it was in the you get it by osmosis because these songs were yeah. epically huge. Look, here's here's how I feel. About the record, four eighths of it's great, one eighth is good, and the rest, frankly, I can take it or leave it. I already mentioned the first two. The only track on the second side that I don't think is is great is Down Hometown. Uh, it's sort of a dosy do line dance thing, 
which uh, ELO should probably stick to not doing that. Rating? A rating is three and a half stars. Three and a half. I like this better than you. Yeah? I gave this one four. Interesting. And this is kind of more the kind of ELO record that's tailored for me. Yeah. This is the kind of more of the ELO that um, is my favorite kind of period. Of, their favorite kind of stuff um, is on this record more so. So, yeah, four stars for me. Mr. Experience? Uh, five EA, no superlative. <laughs> okay. My God. It's fucking head spinning. I love five it. <laughs> five EA, FS, four single lovers. Because Evil Woman, Poker, Knight Rider, Strange Magic, I mean, these are just perfect songs. Yeah, yeah they but, really are. Yeah. They're kind of trapped in amber as these perfect pop statements. They're bangers. Yeah. They are. So in 76, then, we have a New World record, which, again, they're, you know, man, they're, like, operating at full capacity here. How can you not love this band? I mean, oof. The singles are all great. It's, again, a shift toward, you know, shorter pop songs. So it sold uh, five units uh, within uh, within the first year, uh, five million units worldwide, uh, and you have the ELO logo for the first time. And, I mean, they really have completely come into their own here. Um, and uh, Lynn said, uh, you know, in two thousand six, when they uh, came, when they did the remaster, he said the songs started to flow, and most of them came quickly to me. To have all those hits, it was just, I mean, amazing, really. Going from doing okay for probably three or four years to suddenly being in the big time. It was a strange but great thing, which is a, 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 a as vague a quote as you possibly could have conjured from him about such a momentous <laughs> thing. That's kind of his style. <laughs> yeah. So how great is this record? It's perfect. I think you may be right on that. Um, <laughs> I think but, all eight of these are, but I, I, okay. So I, you know, I'm the king of hyperbole, I guess, but uh, tracks one and two, I don't think there's a better opening to a record out there. Tightrope and a telephone line could be its own podcast. It's so perfect. I hope everybody experiences that. So let, let's, let's walk slowly and methodically through this one. So okay. tightrope, we start off with a barnstormer. It's a total course correction for me because it doesn't scream intro well, hockey they, stadium. They do the intro thing, but just short. They just and do it's a, a song. <laughs> it's a, a real song. One. I think that it's the kind of pop rock confection that um, that Lynn's friend Mark Bolin could wished he could have written at well, this yeah. point in his coke adult career. When that song kicked in, I, I, my first reaction was nah, not my thing. But then it's actually really good. It, it is it, really it, good. It, I, that's kind but of that's, that's what I'm it. trying to say is you yeah. just have to wait, and then they're yeah. going to hit yeah. you with something new. And tightrope does that it, a lot. It's a great song. I then. don't usually really like boogie rock kind of stuff, but this, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a good tune, and it kind of like transcends the. Sort Joe, of, you know, Joe likes boogie woogie better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like boogie or boogie woogie. <laughs> um, telephone line is irrefutably oh great. Yeah, right. number seven in the U.S. This is I'm going to say the B word. It is a fucking great Beatles style ballad, <laughs> but it's not a ripoff. Uh, I I really love it. So it you know it uh, it packs in the sads that Lynn does so well. I was um, going to do this thing at the I didn't I kind of forgot to say it at the top, but I just thought that I was going to set up a swear jar, and every time I used the word pastiche, I'd have to put something in the swear jar. <laughs> I haven't used it yet until now. Oh, do it, you is, know, it is a beautiful word though. By the way, do you know what Jeff Lynn's favorite ice cream flavor is? <laughs> yeah, I do. Pastichio. Pastichio. <laughs> I wrote that joke for this episode. Um, okay, but there's I'll a see you guys later. <laughs> so the, um, the, the, but telephone line, it's built around, okay, so the verse part is the very like stock kind of Beatle move, but then it, 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 it's kind of justifies itself. It says that great hook. I mean, that's the most memorable yeah, hook yeah. to telephone line. It's unforgettable, you know, so yeah. that one, the Beatle-y things, I think it kind of justifies it. It's kind of like, uh, yeah. it, it lives up to it, you know? 
And for me, Telephone Line, if we're tracking it, so we had Mr. Radio. I think there's like a couple songs that are linked together through Mr. Blue Sky, which is like Mr. Radio, Telephone Line, and then a couple others where they're working on this like epic single song, you know, because it is a single, but it's also super weird. Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, the next song in, if I was to think of the apotheosis of uh, Lynn and Wood sitting in a room together dreaming up a fusion of, of pop and, and classical music, it would be Rockaria. It would probably be, I would imagine this would be the shared notion that they could agree on. So do you guys like Rockaria? Am I on my own here? I mean, because, you know, I really, really love this song. I love this whole album. There's not a bad song on this album for me. The the worst song on the record, I think, is Mission, a world record. Uh, and that's, that's the outro. That's, of, that's the outro of the side A to go no, into. No, no, the, it's re, it's really good, is what I'm saying. See, I think rock, to favorite. me, rock, rock rock aria kind of dips a little bit for me. But then I like the I like the tune after it. Hmm. Um, so that's pretty solid side A. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and rock aria is not bad. It's just not one of my favorites really on the record. Everything um, on side B is awesome. They've had this thing where side B. Uh, has been a, a plague for me. It's been hard for me to get through a full record because of the dip. But I, there's no dip here. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, it starts off with kind of like it's not like so fine as almost kind of like in like, should have been a single. It's kind of like a like a breezy. It's almost like in the yacht rock kind of space. But like, yeah. I say that again, not pejoratively. <laughs> something. I no, like how can you fully, ever mean that? Fully admire. Really good hook in that. How about how about the mid song African drum breakdown? Yeah, that's an interesting song. And it feels like a Middle Eastern I like that bizarre. one a lot. That's one of my favorites on the record. So yeah, it's fine. great. Great tune. And then the sleeper on the album is Above the Clouds. It's more of a kind of interstitial track to uh, bind the two humongous singles together, but it, it works on its own. Living Thing, and then, of course, uh, Do Ya, uh, which is a re-recording of the Move song, so Lynn could reclaim it as his own, I guess. Yeah, wow. the OG one is kind of harder rocking, and the <clears throat> ELO one's kind of more of a slick sort of sound. I prefer the yeah. ELO one, honestly. You do? Yeah. yeah. I could see that. I mean, it works both ways. I listen to both for the It's like a Louie Louie. I mean, this yeah. is not... Right. A I, just, I just can't... What I love about ELO is I can't imagine you dropping any moment of this record and it being as good as it is, you know? And that's how I feel about all of these eight, but this one specifically, I think this is gotta be, it, this has to be one of the more popular ones amongst their fans, right? I think it, so. I think yeah. this is kind of the consensus, like most yeah. beloved album. I think is it really? I would say so. Yeah. I think so. If we uh, were doing the objective best album thing, I think this would be my number two ELO best album. Yeah, this one's really got good material, uh, yeah. front, 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 front to back. Um, not not a lot of filler on this one. This, they, they, I mean, it's just a classic. It's it's mm-hmm. the pl- it is the platonic ideal for ELO. I give it five stars. Uh, nice, just, nice, another five star. Okay, I'm not the yeah, only man. one. Let's do it. All Let's right. do this thing. I, I I give it five too. Um, you do? Are yeah. you saying that? I just saw I gave you do it, something I gave with it, your eyes. You know, I, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm looking at it. I had it marked as four and a half, but now I'm yeah. sitting here talking about it, and I realize I kind of like pretty much Joe. everything on it. But, well, this this it, for I me is it. a one star. <laughs> this is a one star for me all day because you guys went five. So I just showed Joe my notes. The exact same you thing crossed, happened with me. It out, I started. I, I marked it as four and a half, and then I'm wondering why I marked it as four and a half because there's not a single song that's less okay. than very good. Can we talk? Can we talk about what just happened? Yes, because this is my theory: is talking about ELO makes ELO better. This is exactly why we're doing this. Yeah, exactly. And what I'm saying is, if the three of us listen to Tightrope and Telephone Line on vinyl, I guarantee you we're high fiving at the end of Telephone Line because those <laughs> yeah. two—that's nine minutes of music or ten yeah. minutes of music—and it's so cool to yeah, experience. It's it. really good. I have yeah. it on vinyl. You wouldn't even need to pack it when you yeah. come here today. There you go. Okay, so now I'm, I'm guessing it's a. Uh, uh, 5S 
EA. No, no, no. This is this is a uh, five star EA two B. What's two B? It's this two B O second best objectively. <laughs> um, let's talk about the uh, the slightly odd diversion that occurred here. So in '76 as well, he did a, a very odd medley of "With a Little Help from My Friends" and "Nowhere Man" from the original soundtrack of "All This" and World War Two. Uh, it's a documentary that zero people saw. This album uh, keeps cropping up in yes, the show. It was in our um, our Peter Gabriel show we did with uh, Kevin Whelan from AN Station. Uh, this is, uh, you know, they wanted to use actual Beatle music in the film. So, uh, you know, wh- they decided to use people covering the Beatles tunes. And it turns out Jeffy's solo debut was only an olden time style 92nd interstitial Beatles medley. What this sounds like, I'm, I couldn't, I tried to read about it and I couldn't really find what if this was the case, but it sounds like it was done like by whoever did the score to the movie. Like it was, mm-hmm. it, was it doesn't sound like a rock band playing it. It sounds like people it's, who play film music are it's, playing it's it. It's super undistinctive and you got two huge songs jammed together for 90 seconds. So it's an odd pair. I'm talking about the whole thing in general. The whole album is kind of like that. I don't think Jeff produced yeah. this. Um, I think yeah, it yeah. was, I think he just showed up to sing. So this, I don't consider this uh, ELO canon. All right. So 1977, this is going to be the last thing we cover uh, for this episode because we got, we, we, too much goodness at once can lead to a, a, a fatal outcome. A la the characters in David Foster Wallace's infinite jest where you're frozen uh, in laughing uh, je- supplicative gesture. Yeah, we make a lot of infinite jest references yeah. on the show. Um, so I cut down on that. Probably not. Uh, we have to make sure we reach our, our, our true fan base. So Jeff Lynn's solo again. We have a single that he did that almost nobody knows about. And unfortunately, a few more people are going to find out about it because the podcast, Doing That Crazy Thing, backed with Going Down to Rio. This was the first name Lynn's name appeared as principal uh, and not the name of a band. So, uh, you know, you had ELO being huge at the time. Uh, but this received uh, very little airplay. It wasn't on TV. Didn't chart. <clears throat> um, you it's, know, the, it's pretty funny tune. I, I, lo- I have this on vinyl, and I I listen to it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fun. It's fun. Disco Jeff Lynn and Disco Jeff Lynn, which we're going to get into with like Discovery specifically, in my opinion. But like, I don't know. Like Jeff Lynn trying to be cool is funny to me, and I love it. I don't know. I don't know what his intention is. Is he trying to be funny? Is he making fun of it? It sounds like he's trying to do like like Parliament Funkadelic kind of. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I like the B side. I like Rio better than the A side. Rio is like a really cool preview to like Out of the Blue and Discovery to me. I just Um, feel like it's a fail. But it's also it's maybe uh, (laughs) uh, like he's trying to kind of do jive talking. Like he's it's a little bit of that in there too. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty funny artifact. I think it's kind of worth uh, giving it a spin. I don't think it's not on streaming. I don't think I, we only found it yeah, on YouTube. On YouTube. Yeah. I get I, I give know. it a half star. I don't know. Man. It, it's like Jeff Lynne doing pure disco. Yeah. <laughs> so it's if you uh, yeah. so it's, here it's he disco was, Jeff Lynne, which you know not for everybody. Look, here's what I can say. Okay, here he was on top of the world. He could do whatever <laughs> he wanted. This is what he chose to do. Well, so, br- briefly, look, it's just a couple of tunes. Yeah, it's but you know, it's just an interesting, like, tiny diversion. That's his genius because you know David Lynch did Straight Story out of nowhere. 
a Disney film. You know, it's just like, I, I love that Jeff Lynne just goes, I'm going to do this two track disco vinyl. And he put it out on vinyl, which I guess at that time you had to, right? Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, you know, lawnmowers don't get their due as a, as a vehicular device. No, <laughs> definitely not. So yeah. I, I give this one star as a, as an actual song, but then four stars, four stars for kind of like, it's actually like weirdly listenable in a curio mm-hmm. kind of way. So. What do you, is it five S E? No, 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 no. This is, this is, I gave the side a doing that crazy thing, a three star, and I gave Rio a three and a half star. This is going to be, that's the last release we're going to cover because w- there's so much more to come. Yeah. Uh, is there, Joe, is there anything you want to add before uh, we, we wrap things up? No, I think we're at the end of part one and um, there's still a lot of good ones to come in, uh, in part two. So. Who's the guest on part two? Guest is part uh, Special part un- unannounced, unannounced as of yet. Okay, cool. So you have, you have I look to forward to listening. Next, you have to tune in next week to find out. That's right. So uh, before we go, we just want to ask uh, or answer a question we've been asked uh, quite a lot. Uh, hey, what's Discography? Well, sure, yeah, you're, you're thinking, the fuck, man, it's obviously a podcast, you dumb asshole. And that certainly is an acceptable answer. Uh, however, as far as we're concerned, Discography is mainly a community, what we've been talking about this entire episode. And every single last member of that community is what I affectionately call a soldier of sound. And one thing I guarantee you all will soon be agreeing on is that we, as soldiers of sound, staunchly and resolutely, we refute the age-old notion that it's hard to make friends after college. Um, and, you know, it's about clearing space, getting in some new friends, sharing our music taste, sharing our discoveries. Step one is joining our Facebook group, getting involved. Follow us on Twitter at Discography and on Instagram at DiscographityPod. Please write this second... Pause this stream and rate the podcast five stars, along with a beautifully and ornately worded review, especially if you listen to us on Apple or Spotify. It'll help, not just Joe and I, but eventually all of us. Step two, communicate with us, please. The most important thing in the world is our listenership. I will always return every note and letter, as I consider myself first and foremost a denizen of the rock and roll collective unconscious. In other words, I belong to you. Step three, keep in mind that the link to the playlist is in the show notes and also on our website at discography.com. My friends, this is an invaluable resource in our perennial quest to cut out the middleman. Step four, using the link in the show notes or on Facebook, etc., let us know who you think we should turn the spray cans on next, or even if you're qualified and want to inquire about being guest on the show. And then finally, step five, start a whole new life and begin anew discography style having done so myself i can tell you flat out that it's the only way to live as your co-host i dave gebro solemnly swear and pledge my loyalty to you and joe and zach we'll see you next week joe any uh any departing thoughts zach any departing thoughts go go to your local record store and buy some yellow records specifically el dorado this and, and uh, thanks again to uh, fingerprints. Absolutely, we and, love uh, you. And um, we will see you uh, for next part week. for part two of this discussion next week on Discography. Discography.